Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Delighted to have you with us on this sports podcast where we are going to break down Super Bowl 57, some hockey notes, some other news and notes from the sports world. Doing that with me now, the guest on this week's show. He was able to actually find another job ripping up ticket stubs in Kuwait. It's Kent Brown now on the line. Kent, thanks for uh, landing on your feet and coming back on the show. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. It's always good. Uh, it's always a weird week when the NFL season ends and you're kind of like, what do you do for the next seven and a half months in terms of football? Mm. So we're, yeah, I know. Like, I know they're going to throw two other football leagues at us, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's kind of good to have this little breather, you know, to have, I guess the weekends aren't, you know, I guess absence makes the heart grow fonder and it's nice to have Saturdays and Sundays that aren't just go, go, go. But yeah, in in a couple months, we're all going to be like, man, we miss football. I mean, we already kind of do, but. Yeah, I think so. But you know what? It's also one of those two where if you look at the NFL season, it's now a week longer. College season with NIL, transfer portal, uh, teams trading conferences, new conference realignment. It's almost like it's a (laughs) 24-7, 365 cycle. You know, Aaron Rodgers is in his sleep deprivation tank or whatever he's in for the next four days that will become a new story whatever he decides to do we don't know what's going on with a couple other quarterback situations draft picks things like that so it always speeds up but it's just one of those like you know especially you and i and some of our best friends we get so used to the grind of you know the football weekend and saturday's college sunday's pro and then when all of it ends it's just a reawakening of Oh, yeah, there are other sports and there are other things that <laughs> you know, we now have to go full-time <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah, you have other hobbies, too. It's it's nice to see. Uh, well, the final game of the year, Super Bowl 57, didn't really disappoint. Chiefs get the win, 38-35. And uh, one of the higher scorings, I mean, basically the highest scoring game in Super Bowl history, 38-35 Chiefs win. Uh, the second half when they were down 10 points, Mahomes goes into the locker room with the ankle injury that you know had been a reoccurring thing. Eagles had looked great in the first half, minus a couple key plays, but you know they had all the momentum going into that long halftime Super Bowl break. Kent, the Chiefs got the ball, and they scored every time in the second half that they had it. And there's a lot to be said about this game. The Hurts fumble, some officiating calls, including the last one. There were some close plays throughout. But I look at the number zero, as in zero sacks for this Eagles defense that was third all-time in league history. The Chiefs line, the much maligned, much scrutinized offensive line, kept their quarterback clean, and that was the first thing that jumped out at me as to why the Chiefs are Super Bowl champs. Zero sacks and zero stops for that Eagles defense in the second half. As you said, touchdown, 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 and then you take a knee at the one to kick the game-winning field goal. So for all intents and purposes, they didn't hold them on any drive. <laughs> and that's, that's the difference. The Eagles needed one big stop in the second half, had they gotten that, maybe even that late field goal with two and a half minutes left, that could have been enough. But when you don't stop the other offense the entire rest of the half, that does mean that I understand there's going to be close calls. There's going to be one call that might be made that doesn't go your way. But if you can't get the other team off the field when you have a 10-point halftime lead, it's kind of hard then to sit yeah. back and blame an official for what probably was technically a hold at the end of the day it's not like he didn't hold him it's just a matter of the game was not being called tightly and it was a game where the refs allowed them to play throughout and that's where you want consistency but by the letter of the law it could have been called i personally 
wish it wasn't. I didn't think there was a ton of contact. But when you can't get the other team off the field for an entire 27 and a half minutes prior to that, yep. you're asking to put you're asking to put your team in a position where well, a call can be made that could lose you that game. Yeah, and it, it sucks the Eagles didn't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to get the ball back with mm-hmm. more than four seconds left. But you have to get one stop, and they couldn't get it. Yeah, Bradbury admitted that you know he did tug, as you said, on the jersey, and he was hoping it would it would get by. It was you know accountability, which was good to see. If we're going to talk about the officiating, and, and there was, you know, my point, my bigger point being, Kent, there were so many plays that were bang, bang, close calls. I think it pretty, and would you agree, I think it pretty much evened out. Like, it, like one call here, one call there. I feel like each team got breaks at times, whether it was the two catches, one that didn't go the Eagles' way, one that did go their way, that were both pretty close. You had the uh, second defensive touchdowns the Chiefs thought they got, but it was overturned as an incompletion. And you had a defensive holding that looked more egregious on Juju Smith-Schuster earlier in the game in the first half that wasn't called. So I don't, I, again, I, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I would have preferred that not to be called, but by letter of the law, it is a holding. And, you know, I, I don't think one call, like, like any coach would say, one play is really not determining this game. Of course. I think the thing that just leaves the bad taste in any Eagles fans mouth or maybe you know anyone who bet the Eagles was just the fact that once that call was made unless the Chiefs yeah just made a big gigantic mistake they were going to win the game right but do and you that, think the and, defense like do you think that could be I mean I don't know what was said in that huddle I know the defense D coordinator they, they had a bad day but I almost feel like that's one of those situations where you say look just let them score if they're going to get by you because that literally was the worst thing that could have happened when he got a step on Bradbury and he grabbed, it's like you're better off just letting him run right open into the end zone. Yeah, it's hard to say on a third down in that situation you would ever think about like, well, how far ahead of how far ahead of me is he that I might as well let him score? I do think had the Eagles done it over again when McKinnon got like to the two yard line and seemingly looked like he was about to score before yeah. he took the knee. Yeah. Eagles maybe should have just rushed him and pushed him into the end zone. Uh, I'm not sure if they would have been able to get away with that in terms of just like the sneak play. They should just do like their sneak play, like just get everyone behind him and just push him in. But that that would have been funny if that was actually what happened. He's about ready to fall, and two players just kind of nudge him where the ball crosses the goal line. But overall, the Eagles had the game at their disposal. You're ten. Uh, everything's going your way in terms of Hurts passing the ball well. I know they weren't running the ball as well as they were, but they went to start the third quarter. As soon as the Chiefs went down and scored, you really felt like, okay, this is going to be a four-quarter game, and Mahomes has now put his team back in it. The Eagles eventually had to settle for a field goal. 100% agree. Yeah, that was it for me too. And then the other thing too is, and I thought about this in the moment, and it's hard to say that you do this because you're inside your own 35, but when the Eagles were down 28-27, to and then punted the ball, which eventually Tony went all the way down inside the 10. They were only fourth and ball all game. They were going for fourth and five, fourth and mm-hmm. four, fourth and six. I know it's a little hard to justify in the moment. You're all mm-hmm. in what is basically field goal range. So in theory, the other team probably would take the lead even if they don't gain a yard. But yeah. the Eagles all game, their mentality was, we're not going to be afraid to go for fourth down. Yeah. And fourth and two, I think if they had to do it over again, I think they would risk it because even if they didn't <laughs> get it, it's not like there were three minutes left in the game either. There's no way the Chiefs could have scored and the Eagles wouldn't yeah. have got the ball back. So, yeah. so I do think the Eagles kind of made a mistake there where they were aggressive all game on fourth down and in that situation, the punt clearly didn't work out for them. <laughs> but I think they would go for fourth and two if they had to play it over again. 
Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I don't I don't really fault them for that. I know the Chiefs had some, you know, had the momentum taking the lead down double digits. And uh, I, I do think, though, offensively for the Chiefs, I mean, both offenses were great. Hertz was amazing and, and just how well he played, especially without a running game, running and throwing. I felt like it was like it was a little easier for the Chiefs, wasn't it? Like their drives down the field were just basically flat on marches. Like all, were, it always is, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I'm, I'm just saying in the context of this game, even the Eagles who played well, it was methodical. They they were third and long, fourth and short a lot. They kept making plays. Credit to them. So I don't know that a fourth and two is like a surefire. Oh, they're just going to get it, and it is tough. Now I will say this: that punt play that obviously you mentioned didn't go well. I was have I happened to be tuning in at the exact time of the pregame show where Sean Payton said, "I think this is a huge advantage for the Chiefs and special teams today." And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but it wasn't just the the return. The punt itself was terrible. It was low into the opposite side of where the of where the punt team was going. And yeah, and special teams and defense could make a difference too. That turnover in the first half, Ken, it was the old Bill Belichick adage where if you get a defensive or special teams touchdown, your odds of going up and winning this game, you know, increase dramatically. And, the Chiefs almost got two. Yeah, and you're and you you talk about that punt. It reminds me a lot in terms of high school. You see great return men uh, will dominate in high school because so many punts are low line drives that get to you so quickly yeah. that the special teams could never line up and get in formation. And that's exactly what that punt was. It almost went away <laughs> from where they were intending to block. And as yeah. soon as soon as Tony kind of turned the other way. He had a wall set up that unless he slipped, he was going to get down inside the 20. And I'm almost surprised he didn't score nice on it. Nice tackle by the punter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but overall, yeah, it was just a poor punt. And it gave the Chiefs a great opportunity. And, you know, that, that play is difficult to, to defend where you send the motion man quickly and it almost looks like he's going to be your jet sweep guy or eventually end on the other way. But you have to be disciplined enough if you're Darius Slay or if you're one of those cornerbacks that you can't bite on assuming he's mm-hmm. going for the jet sweep and going to end up on the other side of the formation. And as soon as it worked once, I'm almost surprised the Chiefs waited till third and goal to do it again. But the fact that it worked once, I think the Chiefs knew yeah. pretty good likelihood it's going to work again on the other side. This, and, yeah. and that's great credit to play calling and, mm-hmm. you know, Biennemi and Nagy and Andy Reid and that mm-hmm. staff. I think they did a really good job in that moment on both of those red zone opportunities of knowing this is how we take advantage of this defense, and it worked both times easily. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the clip of uh, you know former Andy Reid protege Doug Peterson's Jaguars this year scoring a touchdown against the Eagles on basically the exact same play with the short motion go back the other way and I thought it was just you know obviously they're studying film but it was a great call great design and I think it was also good to kind of show us the levels that go into coaching because we saw the first drive the Chiefs had Kelsey you know again open great makes the touchdown catch but you get in the red zone and even in in that tight space when you try to take him away with maybe help over the top or if you want to show him a look of a double team well that's what ends up happening too is like you can't Especially when you're not getting any pressure, that's the big thing too. Is that even if you look at we're just going to try to take Kelsey out of this game, which is an impossible task, it shows you that you can get beat other ways, especially when you have a quarterback and an offense that can spread it out. Yeah, and the first time I saw that play this fall that I could remember seeing it was the BYU Notre Dame game in mm, Vegas. Yeah, our series yeah. BYU had a player do that on a short yardage situation at the goal line, and it worked so easily. 
that you almost wondered, why don't you see this more often? Because And then Notre Dame later in the year, Reese used that same thing on their end and was able to pull it off. So it is something that's very effective uh, just because, as you said, especially when you have, it does help when you have that tight end like a Michael Mayer was at ND or like Travis Kelsey is for the Chiefs, it's a lot easier to pull that off because if your defense expects that guy to get the ball – it makes sense because they're so valuable mm. on that slot. And then all you do is you just send that motion man on a quick out. And unless the DB is right there in that moment, ready to tackle him as soon as he catches it, he's going to score. <laughs> and uh, Sky Moore, nobody was around him. And clearly with uh, Tony, nobody was around him. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to stop. And you wonder going forward now, especially two-point conversions, things like that, if that's going to become kind of the mm-hmm. go-to gadget. And and defenses will figure it out. Mm-hmm. But when you have that weapon inside a tight end or like a really big-bodied slot that could really, you know, be the guy who can win any one-on-one matchup on his end, it's very difficult to stop that. And, of course, you have to give Mahomes credit too, which, you know, nobody doesn't give him credit. <laughs> but he's just, you know, he got seriously hurt there at the end mm-hmm. of that second quarter. And I don't know how much you know pain medication they gave him or what they shot him up with i'm sure everything that uh james wood's doctor would have done in any given sunday probably <laughs> was given to to uh patrick mahomes yeah, bud kilmer but, was but, there too <laughs> but let's be real that run he had to put them in the red zone that was the play yeah for 26 yards or whatever yeah. it was he did not look hurt in that moment yeah. and that was a nice scramble he slid and that really gave the Chiefs a little bit of breathing room there of like, okay, we're now where we need to be in this game, and we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, we can get to the Mahomes stuff now because, yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say the most powerful force in sports is just modern medicine because they were able to get him feeling good and and spry in that second half, which, look, I mean, he's able to, he's done this enough where he can play through and manage his limitations and still be effective with an injury, and it's just remarkable stuff. I'd ask you, Ken, after this game, I mean, where he is. I mean, first in the game itself, does it feel like the signature Mahomes game? Because on the on one hand, he didn't, you know, he only had 182 yards passing, but it was a clean day. It was the big run. It was 21 for 27, three touchdowns through the injury to win the Super Bowl. It kind of feels like this was the signature Mahomes win so far, as I say, because he's 27 and he's already got a resume that looks like it's, pretty much top 10 quarterback ever and we're still just getting started here yeah i think you sort of couple this with the end of that Bengals championship game as kind of those two moments both combined sort of form what his signature moment is which is in this playoff run where he's trying to get his second trophy and he's going up against joe burrow who that week many people including myself were wondering hey if burrow beats him is he maybe the guy that is there with Mahomes neck and neck as the future top guy. And then you have Jalen Hurts, who by all accounts kind of came out of nowhere this year as this is an MVP candidate and can this guy lead a team to a Super Bowl. So the fact that he was able to win both of those games mm. with late runs, with all the throws that he had to make in those games, both, I think you couple that and say, you look at what he did to get the team in field goal range to beat the Bengals, and then you look what he did to get the team in field goal range to ultimately win this game. That's where I think his kind of, I would sort of just put both of those together as what defines him now as an all-timer. He was already trending there, Mm -hmm. and even if Mahomes lost this game, 
I still think he would be considered a the best current quarterback and a future top five, top ten quarterback. But now he does put himself in, mm-hmm. you know, rare air. I know that you, me, and our buddy Matt Gothard were texting about this. I believe a couple years ago when he lost to the Niners in that Super Bowl, saying like, "Hey, as good as he is, there's no guarantee he ever wins one again." And I think we set the, the over Bucks, under yeah. at one yeah. and a half yeah. for his career, and he's now over that number. <laughs> And now you would almost say if he gets one more, it's an all-time he's in the discussion as a top-five quarterback, assuming that he just doesn't have one more good year and then seven bad ones. But if he gets one more now, that really becomes at a higher level because two Super Bowls for a quarterback is very rare. Three Super Bowls is, you know, it puts you on another level where it's, you know, Montana, Brady, Bradshaw, and, you know, and then – there's a ton of other greats that haven't done that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's absolutely moving himself into that mix. It's kind of dumb right in the moment right now to say where is he all time mm-hmm. because we just don't know where no, he's yeah, going to so go much for left. the next 10 yep. years. But through seven years or, as we said, through five years as a starter, which is really how we should be evaluating him, there's never been a better start for yeah. five years than what we've seen out of Mahomes. And it's like, why would Andy Reid leave now? You know, I know he's older, but, and I, and I was happy that he's got, now he's got two, and it feels like that's deserving because he has been such a good coach for so long. It just didn't have the postseason success, but it's like, yeah, why it's would good you, for him yeah. that he now has as many Super Bowls as a head coach as children that have went to prison. So he got that number tied up. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's good, you know, and, and uh, you know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. So <laughs> just keeping it all together there. You know, winners and losers in the Super Bowl. Just to, I guess losers in the Super Bowl. Just to wrap this up, this has been fun. Kent Brown on the money, Mitch effect. Um, I think losers, first of all, would be obviously the Eagles. But you know, we'll see where they go going forward. Well, where were you on on Sirianni crying before the game? Because I, I was at a, I was at a, uh, you know, I've I've seen a lot of different, and I'm not exactly sure how I feel about it. I was surprised. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think you would generally see a coach be that emotional uh it's not also like he was the guy who was like you know forever the loser and 23 years well, into his career, okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah. now he's like if you're one of those like <laughs> like remember dick vermil kind of cried his way throughout that rams run where they eventually won one yeah he was known as that guy that was always like the perpetual loser that was never going to be the guy to, to get yeah. the lombardi so it made more sense but for siriano siriani he's a young coach and for him to be that guy was a little surprising. But I do think if you're the Eagles this year, I, I don't even think you really – I mean, in the night, you're right. It, it, you're the loser because you didn't outscore your opponent. Yeah. But if you just look at how Hurts played in that game and how the Eagles have evaluated talent and built their cap system and have really done a good job of bringing that roster in place, uh, you know, even look at it. I mean, they absolutely completely struck out on – you know, drafting the wrong receiver a couple years ago. And yet now with, and, and now you look at it, they've addressed that by getting Devonte Smith after Justin Jefferson, they could have had some of these other yeah. guys, you know, in the moment that was brought up, but now evaluated their talent well enough. And Jalen hurts has become potentially an all time steal touchdown. And frankly, I thought maybe the Eagles should have tried a few more downfield passes in the game. I know Hurts kind of threw in the double cut. I thought Hurts was, you know, I, he played, in my opinion, outside of that great. fumble that he, resulted yeah. in a touchdown. He for 52 minutes of that game. He looked like the better quarterback that <laughs> night. So so I think you because they lost the game, but I almost can't put them in that losing category just because everything I, looks so bright for their future. No, I know. 
It, it does, but and and it does, and you know, I guess you are going to lose some players. The cap situation isn't the best. You're going to have, I know, coordinators, and this is what happens when you get good. The point being that there's no guarantee you ever get back here. So, same team going into the next year. But no, it was a phenomenal game, and they deserve a ton of credit. And you know, we'll we'll have to see where it goes. I was going to say but the here's other, the thing, yeah. though. On the other hand, the defense, as we said during the game. I kept thinking, like, where is this vaunted? I mean, Hassan Reddick was a no-show. Uh, the defensive line. It was crazy. Was I was no waiting shows. for, like, a Eugene Robinson story to come out. Or Eugene Wilson? Eugene <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> Eugene Robinson. Yeah. I was That's waiting. a different Super Bowl story. Yeah, I was waiting for that. No, I was waiting for that as an excuse. Like, well, what happened? Why did they have no, <laughs> no legs? <laughs> Yeah, just and, and that's where the disappointment is. I think if you're Nick Sirianni and you're going to address this team and look at film, uh, you know, I certainly have not I'm not an Eagles fan, so I'm not like went on a deep dive into, you know, why the defense struggled as much as it did. But I would look back at that game and if I if I were an Eagles fan and think how did the defense perform a no show like this, especially in the second half? which is normally when a great pass rush starts to, mm-hmm. you know, make its plays more and more. I thought it was a, you know, a D minus type of game for that defense. And uh, that's not what I would have expected going in. You know, I thought the Eagles would win the game. I certainly did not feel that good about it. I knew going against Mahomes for the second straight game is probably not the smart idea on my end, but at no point did I think they would have zero sacks and really play a terrible game on defense, which is what they ended up playing. Well, I agree with you there. Um, I'd say the other big loser would probably be, and I don't know how far we're going to trace this, if we're going to go into the golf world or Oklahoma State, but the field, I mean, probably not the best for the people that were behind uh, the surface that the game was played on. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And the Fiesta Bowl, was there were players sliding all over the field during that Michigan TCU game on New Year's Eve. And I remember that night even thinking like, this is where the Super Bowl is going to be played in about six weeks. Like, mm-hmm. this can't happen at the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. It shouldn't happen at any game, let alone a CFP semifinal or a Super Bowl. But, yeah, it's a real embarrassment for the NFL for that to be the case because it is a grass surface. You're in a nice weather area. You you bring the grass out. As you mentioned, Oklahoma State bragged about this whole $800,000 <laughs> investment in the field. And for players to be changing spikes multiple times and, you know, players slipping. And I agree, Terry Bradshaw said at the half, why does it feel like the entire field is being painted? Like, <laughs> either put the NFL logo in the end zones next to the team logos and have the Super Bowl logo yeah. be in the middle of the field, or just don't put those gigantic Super Bowl logos on both sides. <laughs> put that into the end zone yeah. or something. It is really embarrassing how basically a third of your field is covered up by paint and that is not a joke like that is a serious thing where like players do slip on that painted surface way more than when it's not painted and for the super bowl to be that case like that should not be where you're testing any sort of (laughs) uh grass field and uh yeah i think it's a bad look for the league i mean clearly people are still watching and 10 years from now unless you're probably a diehard fan of the eagles you're not going to be bringing that up But in the moment, there's no excuse for that to be happening for how much money the NFL has and their resources. Like, if you pay 800000 that field should not, A, not have any issues. It should be the best playing surface anybody's ever played on. You got to the point there in the second half, or I guess the end of the first half, when I had that thought, like, 
They should just leave the Rihanna stage out and just play around it at that point because <laughs> it wasn't going to get any better. Yeah. Um, which they have well, to jump up on their surfaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, interesting halftime show. It's funny how it's such a hot button topic now, and I feel like that's the case whenever there's a, a halftime show. Um, I thought it was fine. I mean, I know it's not. I'm not singing its praises or think it's the worst thing ever, but I know she was limited due to her second pregnancy coming up. Uh, congratulations there, but it was fine. I'm just more of a in terms of music, and this is more of a general nitpick. For these shows, I don't really like the one minute of each song, you know, speed round type of performance, but I thought she did an okay job. Yeah, I just generally don't care much about the halftime shows. Uh, you know, if it's up to me, normally at that moment, you know, I'm grabbing some food, I'm grabbing some drinks, I'm talking to others. I'm just yeah. not, I've never been focused on, uh, you know, even at the games, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to some Super Bowls. And like the halftime show to me is like, if I don't see a moment of it, I'm actually probably means I'm doing something productive <laughs> on my end. Oh, so okay. yeah, overall it's one of those where like, I, I don't miss it. I don't really yeah. care what happens. I mean, seemingly most people thought it was relatively entertaining, but then some people were like, well, she didn't perform like dance around, but it's like, well, but I mean, we've had multiple people that have done Super Bowl half times in the past that weren't dancers and weren't performing. <laughs> they were just yeah. lip syncing. And, so who cares? I mean, ultimately, uh, as I said, if I in the rest of my life, if I see less than five minutes of any halftime show, that's probably a win for kind of how I'm treating the halftime. Well, on that note, I think we can bid adieu to the football season. Uh, as you mentioned, Kent, there's still some sports to kind of keep us going, obviously, until next football season. I just XFL, want to... right? XFL. Aren't we previewing? Aren't we going all in on previewing the yeah. XFL? Yeah, I think uh, I was just waiting for The Rock to come out and challenge, like, you know, you guys aren't the real world champs, like, let's have a unification match. But that didn't happen yet. We'll see. I mean, I know that's, you know, that's down the road. Um, what what did you, uh, I guess I should also go back to Saturday night. What did you think? I know you were covering it, the UFC pay-per-view. What did you think about the title fight, Volkanovski, coming up a little short to uh, Islam? Yeah, I mean, I I think we kind of knew going in that these are two. I mean, they were ranked one and two pound for pound. You knew that this was going to be a hard-fought battle one way or another. Uh, ultimately, you know, if you look at Volk, like, clearly that's a tough matchup. I mean, the lightweight is a step up. You knew that it's going to be difficult. And on top of it, I thought he performed well. Like, frankly, I thought he did lose the fight. I think three to two sounds about right in terms of rounds. But he held his own, and it was one of those that, you know, maybe if you do a better job of, you know, having one extra takedown or you can stay on your feet a little bit more or have a few extra strikes that kind of separate you, there it wasn't a total, like, annihilation by any means. And that's kind of where the odds were set. I mean, he was pretty much a three-to-one dog, which makes you think it wouldn't have been that that close. So overall, good on him to, you know, try to try to step up and, you know, win – win the lightweight title there's no shame in losing that and now he'll have his chance you know ultimately uh you, know, you look at it he is still you know a champion on the ufc level in terms of like a guy that is going to be a contender with whatever weight class he goes forward with but overall i thought it was an entertaining fight i just think that at the end of the day it was you know he lost three rounds and won two and that's kind of the way it works sometimes yeah, I thought that was a pretty fair scorecard. Um, I could yeah. kind of see if you want to go the other way, but I thought it was pretty fair. It was pretty straightforward. Round four, great takedown by Islam, what he does. Uh, and then obviously round five, Volk showing a lot of heart there. It was great. I, I actually think that 
it, it, down the road now and not in the short term, but I could see that fight happening again because it was Before. close. There was areas where you could see Volk improving and fourth round, obviously. And it was by far, I mean, the best title versus title fight that I think we've seen. Like if you talk about the guys, that the times they've done this and the few times in the past, it hasn't been this much of a banger for five rounds. So uh, exciting right. to and that, see. And, and that's why I'm saying I think yeah. you have to give him credit yeah. because the way the odds were set up, it kind of indicated that that was going to be what happened was ultimately it was going to be one of those. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he was going to be overmatched and we would find out. And that just wasn't the case. He was certainly that night, the second best fighter in the octagon mm-hmm. during the five rounds, but he, he was not overmatched. No. And, you know, I thought that, uh, that's why I took, I, I was, I was out with you and some friends earlier that day. And I said, I'll take Volk at three to one as an underdog just because I think there's real value there. I think if he fights this three times, he probably does pull it out mm-hmm. one of those three. And that's kind of what you want to look at at underdogs is like, is there a chance that he has, you know, he has a fighting chance in this and he did, but for the UFC, it's, it's an interesting time right now because you have, you know, John Jones is back on the horizon. Uh, we'll have to see if he can stay as a UFC fighter. You have all the stuff happening with Francis and Ganu, and you don't quite know, is he going to return? Is he not going to return? That's the biggest star they, they have had in the last couple of years. And now seemingly he is not in good relationship with the company. You know, you had the whole element of, you know, you know in, in the women's game where it looked like Nunes was unstoppable and was just going to be this Rousey type of force, and then she loses and now is having a kid and needs some time away and things like that. So it's just one of those where, like, UFC is kind of in a place right now that it's in a wait-and-see period on some of the stars, even Conor McGregor. It looks like he's past his prime, but obviously he has Chandler set up down the line that, you know, if he wins that, he's easily easily their most recognizable star again. So they're they're in kind of a wait-and-see holding pattern right now. And I think that a fight like this was a good one where it's like you have two worthy champions that are probably going to not be going anywhere anytime soon. I'm just laughing because you said, you know, Conor McGregor down the line. It's like, yeah, he hasn't actually entered USADA yet. So yeah, <laughs> don't, don't hold your breath for that fight happening soon. But we'll see there. Uh, all right, Kent, just some hockey talk before we got to let you go here. Uh, Penguins holding on one point ahead of uh, the Islanders for that last spot in the uh, Eastern playoffs. And. Man, they took it on the chin against the Kings the other night. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like they have enough to maybe get into the playoffs, but that could mean a date with the Boston Bruins. I think we might know how that'll go. Yeah, as I, I just said to you the other day, though, I'd rather see them try that Atlantic side than go through the Metro. I feel like right now with the Penguins, maybe a change of pace would be good if they sneak in as that. And clearly, if they get in, they're going to be one of those two wildcard spots. So it's either going to be a... Carolina, New Jersey, New York first round, or it's going to be Boston. Mm. I would rather take my chances with Boston and just see if maybe the Penguins could, you know, outscore them a Mm. few times and have a chance. Because that's going to be the only way they win in that. They're not going to win 2-1 games. That's just not going to be how things work against the Bruins. But I I feel like that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Get in, be that second wild card. The Bruins will be the top seed. And then maybe – if somehow you can get through that series, which is doubtful, then it opens things up to Toronto, Tampa, you know, you know, and I think that's a lot better than if you're going up against right now the Rangers or the New Jersey Devils currently. Man, I, just, I, I hope that that's kind of the case. But look, yeah. the Penguins right now just have not been very good, and there, there's a reason why 
as you said, they're they're one point away from being out of the playoffs. You know, after you know after the NFL season ends, and in the past they've started off so hot the last several years and then kind of fell off. This year they've kind of been mediocre to poor throughout the entire year, so they haven't had that whole like eight game stretch where they look dominant. Maybe we'll get that, and that will be good enough to solidify them yeah. again. But yeah, it's a real challenge, and I would be. Hmm. Right now, odds are, even if they get in, they're out in that first series anyways. But I'm hoping to see it. Uh, the fact that, you know, you have Sid, you have Malkin, you have Latang, all these guys back. Latang coming back like less than a month after having a stroke is nuts. But uh, it's one of those deals where, you know, I think for the Penguins' sake, like, they get in, there's still that element from the other team across the ice from them that goes, these guys have all won this three times. Like, these guys know how to win. Yeah. And, as much as you want to discount the Penguins, and I think, frankly, a lot of Penguins fans are discounting this current team, all it takes is, like, a game one win, and now you're like, oh, boy. Like, this team could this no, team yeah, it's go three, play, no, three out of six and get through. Let's play off hockey for sure. I would say, though, that you know that intimidation factor would probably work better on those Metro teams than the Bruins team that has some championship pedigree too and is you know, that's all the also a good the point. The Bruins are going to be less scared. Yeah, but but I hear but I hear Carolina what you're saying. And, and, York and, New Jersey would be. and Boston's issue is going to be the same thing a lot of Presidents Trophy issues have is are they playing meaningful hockey down the stretch or are they just kind of coasting in and you know not having to hit that higher gear? So it's a it's a big thing. Uh, the the story for me the last couple of weeks is those top three in the Metro. You know, Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers, respectively, they've all been kind of on fire, putting up some distance between the rest. And, you know, each of them are, I think, 8-1-1, 7 7-2, 7-2-1, respectively, in their last 10. So they're just all kind of kicking it in, setting up for a showdown there. And also, Kent, the power balance in the East versus the West is pretty staggering. The Stars are the only team in the West with 70 points. You've got six over 70 in the East. So... You have one conference that just looks loaded and the other that still we're trying to figure out who can make a run. I guess it's keeping some of the older, more, I guess, established teams, teams like an Edmonton if they get hot or a Colorado if they can get healthy because nobody has run away with it at all in the West. Yeah, and it shows you, right, the fact that there are Western teams that really aren't very good that are one player away or one acquisition yeah, away. Deadline's going to be crazy. It is. Because like that... in the West, every team that's like one of those nine teams that are kind of in the hunt right now, any one of those teams realistically can look at themselves and say, we can get to the cup final. You know, like there's nothing saying like, who's to say that Minnesota or LA Kings or Colorado mm-hmm. or whenever in conference, you're kind of right. that so uh, top heavy in terms of how many great teams there are that, even though even a few of those teams, like let's throw in Tampa or Toronto or teams like that, do they even really feel like they're true contenders? I, I don't know. Not. I like, mean, yeah, I don't know. Tampa, Toronto, that's another – it's so funny. That's another first-round series. But I feel like you make it through that and you got to give yourself a puncher's chance given how well these teams have done the regular season. Uh, just, just a note on the Western Conference, I agree with most of that. I think there are teams, though – that are the younger teams that might have the longer-term approach, like a team maybe like the Kings or even, of course, like the Kraken that are yeah. doing well. I don't think you go for it big at a deadline. I think you maybe stay in pad if you're one of those teams. You know, you make minor moves, but you're saying we're going to, you know, you know, work our nuts off here and play, but we're not going to try to mortgage the future 
chasing what for could a rental Edmonton here. do? Let, let's throw Edmonton into this mix real quick and say, <laughs> yeah. what can the Oilers do? Because clearly, star power wise, they're a team I mean, that. McDavid's a joke. Like it's ninety. He's got ninety-seven points, forty-two goals already. Yeah. Like it's, it's but insane. They're the type of team that clearly the league would love to have make a run because of that star power. They need they defense. Like they need it. defense. I mean, goaltending is one thing, but they need to shore yeah. up their blue line, and that's where I mean. I'm on okay. Bo, 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 Bo Horvat getting traded to the Islanders was a pretty big move so far early. I, Patrick Kane's mm-hmm. not going to get traded with the injury. I just don't think they're going to trade him. I think the biggest piece right now at the deadline is a guy like Chikrin in Arizona, a defenseman that's not quite your your workhorse, but probably your second or third best defenseman on a really good team and young. It could obviously get better. That's the kind of guy that is rare to find, and I think a team like Edmonton. They need to shore up perfect. the blue line. I mean, they, they do. I mean, that's. I mean, they're not the only team that are going to be going after him, obviously. But they need depth on the blue line because we know that playoff hockey wears you down. There are breakdowns. You're watching the same film of the same teams, you know, for seven straight games at, at most, obviously. So I think you need depth and you need to have a good blue line. If you look at a lot of the teams, even your your Penguins teams, it wasn't always the, the it was a lot of the unsung heroes and a lot of the depth that they had on the yes. back end that kind of kept them going. Well, and especially now that the Oilers have kind of been there, done that in terms of not mm-hmm. being a deep playoff run team, you got to think that like eventually it's like you got to go all in or you have to see if we can eventually do it because I'm, I'm rooting for it. I really mm-hmm. am. Like if you look at this Western Conference, like we saw Colorado last year step up and make that run. They're that. they're not out like, either, we, by the we, way. I just, I just want to throw that in there. They've been ravaged by injuries. They won the cup last year. There's been such a chance for the league, for the West, to kind of put them away, and they haven't done that. So I would say if Colorado's healthy and they're in, like absolutely buying stock is one of the top teams that can make a run. Oh, well, right. Exactly. I wouldn't discount them whatsoever. But I also feel like like right now, if you look at the Western Conference, and I'm on BetMGM uh, mm-hmm. right now, the Avalanche are still your favorites mm-hmm. to win the West at a pretty good number, at, three, at plus 300. Oilers are second at plus 550, then the Stars at 650, and then it's the Knights, the Flames, the Wild, all at 750. So there's a big separation between mm-hmm. Avalanche and then even the Oilers. So it kind of shows like what you're saying, and that's where from the Oilers, I'm like, now might be the time to make this run because mm-hmm. there's a chance. There's a yeah. lot of mediocrity in this conference yep. where like you might not even this doesn't <laughs> even necessarily need to be the best version no. of us. We just have to be right. better than two or three other teams in a series. Yeah. And then you get to the cup finals because eventually, man, if the Oilers just never make it over that hump, it's, brutal. it's gonna be a major disappointment because we talked about uh this several times over the years are like great hockey players. Like Ovechkin was kind of the last one to get this way is the best of the best have all eventually got there, able to get their rings and win and make a statement. And like for, you know, you're looking at the Oilers right now and you're thinking like they haven't even sniffed the cup. So it's one of those that like I would like to see them make that run. And I think that uh, they're certainly, as we said, one or two pieces away from being a pretty good likelihood of having a chance to make that run this this spring but we'll have to see man yeah and you know that some of these teams are going to be making moves to down the road get better bring in big free agents so this could be the the opportunity for the oilers uh it's gonna be fun and who do you think who do you think if you remove the bruins from the east right now who would be your pick 
as your second most likely team to get to the cup finals. Because right now in the East, you have the Hurricanes. Or, so the Bruins are plus 275 to win the East. Hurricanes 4-1. to one. The Leafs are plus 550. Then the Lightning at 650. And then the Devils and Rangers are 750. Man, I think the Rangers are... That's what I was going to say. I, I, would I feel go, like the Rangers should be up there with the Leafs. So I would go Rangers. It's so tough. Um, Devils, we're just going to say, like, we haven't seen this before. This has been, you know, exceeding all expectations. So I just think they're going to be, by process of elimination, a team I'm not sure about. <laughs> the Leafs, we've kind of... It's the other way, too. Like, we've just seen them fail so many times that I don't know that they're going to break through. And I think the Lightning have played a lot of hockey recently. I would go Rangers slightly over Carolina, and I think, you know, Carolina thought Pacioretty was going to come back. He gets hurt again, like same Achilles-type injury. I would I would go Rangers. I think Tarasenko is going to be a huge addition for them, and I would go with them as my number two team, as as team in the East. I mean, Bruins deserve all the credit, and it's not just the point total. They're built like a perfect playoff hockey team. But, yeah, I'm feeling the Rangers as that number two team. Yeah, I would say right now I'd probably go with them – or Carolina, uh, you know how I'm always just, I'm not going to buy into the Maple Leafs until I actually <laughs> no, see yeah, them raising, yeah. raising the cup. Yeah. But yeah, I, I look at this Rangers team right now, and man, they, they, they have the pieces to really make a deep run. And uh, I think uh, I have a feeling that these plus 750 numbers, like when the actual cup playoffs begin, I think that they'll be lower odds than that i don't think that they'll be as high as 750 i think they'll be closer to that four or five to one good time to get it uh ken brown this has been a fun podcast very last thing um what should we expect with tiger's return to competitive golf at his home tournament at the riviera at the genesis open well i think right now the fact that it's his tournament is one of those where like you kind of i can see tiger in the future kind of doing the thing where he doesn't play anywhere else, and then this is where he plays, and then maybe that hero world challenge that he does in the Bahamas, he tries to play. Because I started thinking, like, I want to go this Friday, I want to see him, but then part of me is like, well, odds are he'll, as long as he's walking and he's relatively healthy, I can see him teeing off at the Riv for years to come and kind of make this his goal. It's also kind of wild that this is the only t- annual tournament on tour that he's played multiple times that he's never won yeah. and now it's his tournament so it's something that i don't see him honestly playing that well this week i feel like if he makes the cut it would be a real accomplishment i mean the field is absolutely loaded it's the best field they've ever had there and on top of it it's just a tough it's a tough uh slate it's a very difficult course but i i just i'm happy to see him you know tiger woods is the guy who you know, in terms of an individual sport athlete, he's given me uh, as much joy watching his career as anyone. So I look at him and I'm happy he's out there. I'm happy that mm-hmm. this is kind of, you know, the place where he had the accident just a few miles up the road a few years ago where it looked like he was absolutely never going to golf again, let alone walk again. So I think just the fact that he's out there and it's his tournament, it's a home run it's a win for him already but realistically i don't think he'll make the cut and if he does he's not going to be competitive but I, I think going forward you can probably look at his career and think that the riv in february and then the hero world challenge that he does you know in the fall are kind of the two events that he'll probably do his best to try to like be part of and at least tee off on but uh yeah i have no expectation for him being at all competitive this week and if i had the bet uh, a, I wouldn't bet him to miss the cut because I just would never want to make that bet. 
But odds are, if you're handicapping it, I'd have to look more into all the props that are available. Mm -hmm. But I would probably look to head-to-head a few people against Tiger, even if the odds are, like, you know, if you can get any of those top 40 guys currently, like an Adam Scott would be a good one. If you can get, like, an Adam Scott head-to-head against Tiger, and let's say Adam Scott's even, like, minus 180 or minus 175, Mm. I feel pretty likely that you're going to win that type of bet. So that might be what you look to do. Yeah, I'm a Tiger fan. I don't want to bet against him. But I'm just right. saying, realistically, it's hard for me to think he's going to be anywhere near the top. But I'm gl- but I'm great. I'm yeah. happy to see him there. And it's always awesome to see Tiger in person. Uh-huh. And uh, I hope he does this for, for, for years to come. And yeah. this is a great event. Like, you've been there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really cool venue because it's not your cookie-cutter you know 7400 yard course where everything is very similar and you know the players are getting their 23 under 22 under i mean it's a real it's a it's a strategic course 18 is a difficult hole that puts players in trouble but it's extremely rewarding hole 10 is as fun as any par 4 there is on tour i love the way hole 1 sets up for people that's pretty much if you don't get a birdie out of the gate you feel like you're instantly behind the field. So, uh, you know, I, I, I love the course. I'm glad Tiger's back. And uh, I, I think the you can say what you want about the Live Tour and you can say what you want about kind of how they go about things. But the one thing the Live Tour did is it did expedite the PGA Tour to create these elevated events. We saw it with the Waste Management over the weekend. We see it with the Genesis this week. We're going to see it with Arnold Palmer's event in a couple weeks and then jack's event and so on they're doing these elevated events with 20 million dollar purses and guys like rory mcelroy who never wanted to play in phoenix now shows up there matt fitzpatrick who's now a major winner or this week at the yeah. live there were plenty of guys that it's been play. good it's, it's been it's good. awesome it's awesome that you're going to be able to see like basically the entire like this looks like a major field and when you're there odds are like i'm debating if i'm going on sunday Odds are I'm going to have to go because you're probably going to get six of the top 12 guys in the world that are in <laughs> that top leaderboard. Yeah. So, you know, I can't yeah. wait to see it. And again, back to your original question. Good on Tiger. I'm glad he's playing. But I think he also knows I would be pretty surprised if uh, Tiger realistically, I know he'll say it because that's just who he is as a competitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll probably say, I'll never teach if I don't expect to win. But I think for him, the goal is kind of how the Masters was recently where if he can just make the cut that would be a huge success well i can't wait to see him uh kent brown thanks for joining the show today uh, a great sports knowledgeable guy and someone that to my knowledge has never thrown a tee at anyone on the golf course either so that's good i have not yet uh patrick reed is that guy that uh actually gave my brother a death stare at a u.s open when uh for some reason a few years yeah, ago at pebble beach yeah, Reed was Reed was wearing the uh, he was doing the untucked shirt thing on Sunday, and my brother told him to tuck it in, chubby. And Reed looked back at him like, you know, in the vicinity of us, not too happy. So had Reed had Reed uh, had a tee at that moment, he might have flicked it our way, which would have been an awesome thing. But unfortunately, hey, I just don't want to get sued by him. I no. know he sues people for what they say on podcasts and yeah, what they say no in the media. Soon. Uh, I don't. I hope the Money Mitch effect never comes up in a Patrick Reed lawsuit. No, but no, hopefully not. Know. But Kent Brown, appreciate talking sports with you as always. Of course, man. 
That was Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. If you like the podcast, we're on all your platforms, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, everywhere you can find it. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content. We'll be back next week. More sports talk. Uh, everything that comes up, we'll be having you covered. For Kent Brown, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying sports.